0: What's up, everybody? Heath here, also known as the Theological Coordinator. Here at the Churchosity Podcast, we want to make sure that you, our listeners, are constantly kept in the loop about what's going on around here. But first of all, Andrea, the Mrs. Theological Coordinator, and I want to say a huge thank you for listening to the show and for all of the support that you give us. We have so much gratitude for you all. So from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you so much. And now for business. We want to let you know that we're taking a break for the next couple of weeks to have some quality family time here at the end of summer before the school year starts. As well, because we absolutely love bringing you quality content every week about the hard stuff and the tough stuff, we're excited to get back and continue our sensationalism series because, well, there's still a lot to talk about. But in the meantime, we've put together some postscripts episodes for you to hear. These are notes from my writings and journaling over the years. You know, the things that I like to think and pray about. So enjoy. But please continue to support the Churchosity podcast. So until next time, keep paying close attention to your conduct. And your doctrine. And now, on to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, from wherever or whenever you're listening right now and welcome to this bonus episode of the churchosity podcast I am your host the theological coordinator and these are the types of episodes that I like to call the postscripts because these are the things that I tend to think about when the record button is off and when things are generally quiet so thank you so much for listening. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the faithful saints of God experience pain and suffering? If God is so loving, then why does he allow evil to exist? These are just a few of the many questions that Christians and non-Christians have been asking about God throughout all of history. Contained within the book of Job, are both hints and direct answers to the questions which summarize how come an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and all-loving God allows bad things to happen to good people. In the church culture of the 21st century, it would seem that Christians have become a little too comfortable, especially in the West, with their freedom to practice their religion. Inasmuch as there is freedom to worship Jesus Christ, the living God, alongside that freedom is the ever-present reality that Christians do experience varying levels of pain, strain, and stress, even to the point of persecution, and in some areas of the world, death. When studying the story contained within the book of Job, the reader is confronted with the makings of a very good conundrum of faith. On the one hand, God is the superior in power, knowledge, and love, and yet, on the other hand, he is also going to permit horrible and terrible things to occur in the life of Job, one of his most faithful, subservient worshipers. These two seemingly opposing sides do not jive well with most Christians. It makes us uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. We want a spirituality that is light and breezy, one that is free and unencumbered. The sun is shining, God is on the throne, and all is well with the world. We don't want to worry about questions of theology and doctrine. We try to avoid issues that make us struggle, that make us squirm. Our faith merely calls on us to love Jesus and get along with others, and everything else will just take care of itself. And most of the time, that is enough. But the story of Job and his entourage would seem, at least at the first few glances, to be one of unfairness. That God would not just allow bad things, some really bad things, to happen to his servant Job. Even allowing Satan and his minions free and direct access to Job and the freedom to have his way with him, except taking his life. Well, they would definitely seem unfair on the part of our loving and gracious Creator. But the story of Job will prove otherwise. While engaged in the attempt to unveil what the story of Job is actually telling its readers and students, they will uncover a defense, or theodicy, for the actions taken and allowed by God. Theodicy attempts to justify suffering and evil in the world in relation to the existence of God, who is supposed to act as a loving caretaker. The ideas presented through the theodicy of Job are done as though God needs a defense for his actions regarding his servant Job. It is as though Job is sinless and innocent, and God is behaving in a manner equivalent to some tyrannical ruler enforcing his own will on a whim for sport of entertainment. This is arrogant presumption on the part of one's holding to that opinion, not the least of reasons being the sovereignty of God should never be questioned or doubted. But also that sometimes God will use the steadfastness and long suffering of his children to put his righteousness on display in ways unimaginable to humankind. Like all of humanity and all of history, Job is not exempt from the testing of faith while job's faith is clear its basis is far from certain is job's hope for deliverance rooted in his unconquerable faith in god's character or in his own righteous innocence the story speaks for itself on this matter when approaching the narrative presented in the book of job the first issue to be tackled is the presentation of satan and his minions in the presence of god It is obvious by this bold declaration and approaching of the throne of God that this is an event occurring after evil came into existence in the universe. Did these events take place before or after the events of the Garden of Eden? The text does not specifically say. However, it is safe to infer that these events are post-cursed as the cast of characters involves Satan, humans capable of choosing to curse God and experience death, both of which did not exist prior to the fall, and a God-given narrative of the creation of the entire universe. Obviously, Job is a man of impeccable character in an already evil and perverse world full of doubters and haters of God. His wife and closest friends bear testimony to that end. The mere presence of evil exists with Satan being aware of its reality, and his very own pronouncement of Job being faithful because of God's favor towards him, contrary to those whom would not be receiving the favor of the Lord. With the fall of man, the whole world became a place of pain, suffering, and catastrophe. In other words, the world has become a scene of brokenness and pain. It is possible that this scene in the heavenly throne room of God is happening in order that future followers of Christ would read of it and see how Satan, the accuser, still hurls abusive commentary about them before the throne of God and our mediator, Jesus the Messiah. How he defends and erases each and every charge. Referring to Hebrews 9.15 Whatever the case may be, this scene is provocative both because of the reality of Satan in the presence of Almighty God and due to God not just appointing Job for personal persecution but affording Satan the freedom, except for killing him, to have his way with him. This is the first and probably the greatest theodicy in the entire story. Unlike Adam who chose his own course by electing to eat the forbidden fruit, Job has no say in what is about to happen to him. He is the unwitting target in a gambit not of his own choosing. Although the means to the end is different, the outcome of the temptation leaves Job in much the same situation as the primordial couple, only worse. The loss of his wealth and possessions and his affliction with horrible physical suffering leave him sitting among the ashes. God sovereignly chooses to allow Satan access to Job, who unknowingly, unwittingly, and for all intents and purposes, undeservingly, is about to feel the full thrust, apart from death, of quite possibly the likes of what Jesus experienced in his persecution and torture. But we must be careful here, lest we fall to the temptation to feel sorry for Job and charge the Almighty with unfairness. Yes, it is true, Job was a faithful and true man of God, which is what he was ultimately known for. But we must, in defense of God, see here how not only the grace, but also the allowance of pain and suffering of God is universally dispensed by him on the just and the unjust. For it is here that Satan intervenes to cause undue suffering on Job, on the pretext of testing the true nature of his moral character. This inevitably raises the question of retributive justice in general for all such innocent sufferers, in the sense that Job is an emblematic sufferer representative of every man. And so, the infliction of suffering upon Job begins. It is important to note here that the afflictions and the sufferings in this world just as it was in the days of Job, are a direct result of the curse on the universe which the fall caused. The sin of one man, Adam, has resulted in the universal curse of imperfection, suffering, and death. Contained within the theodicy of Job is the argument of the mere existence of evil in a universe created and maintained by an all-powerful God. There will be failed attempts in the story of Job to substantiate the argument that God lacks in power because of the existence of evil. In fact, nowhere does the book of Job suggest that God lacks power or goodness. Some people claim that a weak God is powerless to prevent human suffering. Job is assaulted from all sides, beginning in the heavenly realm with the accusations from Satan. Job becomes the receptor for all the evil Satan can muster for the purpose of what would eventually be a failure, disproving his loyalty to God in spite of his suffering. Job loses all of his possessions, his children, his health, and his honor, all of the tangible ways in which God has blessed him in this life. But these assaults from Satan did not end there, for even his wife, whom Job loved and trusted most, would take up the devil's mantle of abuse And attack him as well and as he was sitting there his wife came to him she loved him and knew that he was a good man but after a while enough is enough she wanted his suffering to end the suffering of his body but even more the suffering of his soul and so she came and asked the question that we all ask when bad news seems to never end how long how much longer let's make it end Curse God and die. It's right out of Job chapter 2 verse 9. While volumes could be spoken and written regarding the behavior, treatment, and assault of Job's wife, it's more important to note the breadth and depth of the onslaughts Satan has been granted the freedom to impose upon Job. It was not just enough for Job to suffer the losses of his possessions and wealth, his children and his honor, But now his very own wife and soon after his closest friends are all going to attack him. Questioning the very nature of God and his intentions, Job's very own integrity, which does not even make sense as it's already been clearly stated by God and his wife and friends that Job is the most faithful man. And yet his very own integrity and his level of patience to allow God to do these things to him Are going to be questioned. It would be very easy and also extremely justifiable on this side of eternity, with limited and finite human wisdom and logic, to label these actions allowed by God as unfair and unjust. Job does question God, and rightfully so. He especially does not understand why what seems to be the outcome and consequences of faithfully following God first resulted in continual blessing and preservation, but have now resulted in him being stripped of everything God had blessed him with. While these lines of questioning and doubting the Creator to essentially end up leading Job to repent and return to his fervent and unshakable faith in God, the reader might think this is bad to question God. However, to know Job's perseverance without his pain or his repentance without his repeated assault on God is not to know Job at all. In fact, the simplistic reading of Job can have devastating consequences. Elevating the Job of faith without giving attention to his difficult questions creates an unrealistic expectation for those in the midst of suffering. Suffering for the faith is just as necessary. almost promised to the follower of God as the suffering because of our faith we have in him all suffering in the faith and outside of the faith are all part of God's sovereign will and plan but just exactly what is this plan of his that would include the suffering of a man who has made for himself a huge success of family wealth and honor and acquiring all of these while under the direct influence obedience and faith of in god surely this is not the norm is it it is easy in our cynical age to believe that the only ones who get ahead are those who lie and cheat and steal but there are those who have made a fortune and kept their sense of self and their love of god we usually don't hear of them but they are out there this is not the only time in scripture when a devout and faithful follower of god is depicted or written of having been confronting the justice, or rather potentially the injustice, of Almighty God. Several of our Christian fathers and prophets in the faith have gone before us demonstrating the questioning of God's motives, plans, or desires. For instance, the book of Jonah can be seen as a fictive scenario that asks what happens when a prophet resists his mission to minister to sinners. Or in the case of Abraham, what would happen if a patriarch rebelled against God over the justice of God's impending judgment over Sodom and Gomorrah? The book of Job could also be seen as a fictive scenario that asks what happens when the most pious of innocent sufferers challenges the justice of God. In other words, can human virtue infringe upon divine attributes? In the end, after all of the sustained assaults, abuse, attacks, and questioning, God shows up in a mighty way. But he does not come to Job in the rescuing sense, no. Rather, God shows up as he most often tends to do when his followers have suffered and questioned the mind and motives of God. He puts his sovereignty, authority, and power on display. This is not to put Job in his place, but rather to help him understand where his place is in God's universe, under his will. Job's wrestling with God can be viewed as the struggle of a believer. God is not punishing Job, but demonstrating the spiritual integrity of his servant. This does not mean that Job does not suffer inscrutable pain and loss. The climax of the narrative is Job's answer at the end. He did not say, There you have it. I understand but only said I repent hence the conclusion is that to fear God leads to an abundant life the overall message of Job as defended in its theodicy is that with God's wisdom and justice seen from the correct eternal perspective the suffering is not the focus but rather the reason for the suffering On this side of eternity, we will not ever fully understand why the suffering must happen, especially to those whom God has saved, outside of the curse of sin on the universe. What comfort we should find, then, in finding how at the end of the story, Job reinstitutes his faith in God and reaffirms his hope in Him. The most important thing to remember is that Even though he may seem a long way off, especially in the moments of suffering, God is always at work. God is working day and night, 24-7, to bring about good. We don't think about it when things are going well, when business is booming, and the children are all healthy and all is well in the world. But God is at work. This is how we can, with confidence, not only know, but also understand the theodicy of Job. How an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and all-loving God can allow bad things to happen to good people. And that is all I have to say about that. Thank you for listening to the Churchosity podcast, The Postscripts. Be sure to follow the show on all of the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Pod. And until next time, this is The Theological Coordinator saying, peace.